Please take your copy of the Word of God, and we'll be turning to uh, Matthew chapter 11. Let's see, this morning I get to add a new section to our worship service. It's corrections for last Sunday. I made a comment about the, uh, the issue of did the Lord descend into hell for three days, and I said the Nicene Creed, uh, it's actually uh, from the, one of the Apostles' Creeds, of which there was the Old uh, Roman and, old, and the Gallic Creed, and I meant to say uh, the Apostles' Creed. So if you want to make that correction, that'd be great. Now, now back to this week, see if I can get through without having to do this section next week when we get next to that. Matthew chapter 11, we're looking at verses 25 uh, through 30. I'm going to begin with uh, something that really isn't scriptural. In other words, it's not embedded in the body of Scripture. It's not part of the Bible. But it was from somebody that uh, was a theologian and wrote uh, really early on. And uh, Dr. Craig Keener cited this in his commentary, and I wanted to share it with you. Uh, What Keener believes is that the things I'm going to quote here, uh, he believes that Jesus in in today's text, the one we're going to read here in just a little bit, Uh, modeled the words that he used after a previous writing of a man by the name of Ben Sira. And uh, he was a 2nd century Hellenistic Jew, uh, that's 2nd century B.C., so long before Jesus Christ. And he was a scribe who wrote a non-biblical work called Sirach. And uh, you you can read that online if you wanted to sometime. The, The idea here is, similar to what Jesus is teaching in our text this morning. What Dr. Keener is saying is that he went back in history and he pulled up these words that was written by Ben Sira, and he changed them and made them the true word of God and made them an inspired word of God uh, with the changes. It's just like sometimes you read something out of the past and you see what a philosopher or somebody else said something about that and then you realize it's not the truth and so you change it. So that happens still today. But I want to read uh, what Ben Sirah wrote in Sirach, chapter 51, verses 23 to 30. And here's what it says, and I'm quoting. Draw near to me, you who are uh, uneducated, and lodge in the house of instruction. Why do you say you are lacking in these things, and why do you endure such great thirst? He's talking about a thirst for instruction and education. I opened my mouth and I said, acquire wisdom for yourself without money. Put your neck under her yoke and let your souls receive instruction. It is to be found close by. See with your own eyes that I have labored but little and found for myself such serenity. Hear but a little of my instruction and through me you will acquire silver and gold. May your soul rejoice in God's mercy, and may you never be ashamed to praise him. And then the last verse I want to read, it says this, Do your work in good time, and in his own time God will give you your reward. And that's the end of the quote. So, here Ben Sirah is saying that wisdom is speaking directly to you you and to your heart, and you should listen. Uh, There's riches to be gained from wisdom. In our text this morning, in the infallible and inerrant word of God, we have Jesus speaking truth about finding rest, like Ben Sira did, uh, but it is true rest. True rest is not in wisdom, it is in the person of Jesus Christ. So what we see here is Jesus takes an ancient saying, and he puts a, a godly and inerrant twist on it, 
And Jesus takes this sagacious uh, verse of text uh, from Sarah and, and his words, and he corrects them with the inspired word of truth from God the Father. And I think that's what's going on here. So it's interesting to note that Jesus was well aware of the literature of the scholars of the day. Jesus knew what people had been saying. He knew about philosophy. He knew about the sciences. He knew about all that stuff. And here he is correcting something and making it uh, better biblically. This is kind of a strange little text because it's not, not the one I just read, but what we're going to read in the Bible here today because of what it says. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this uh, in terms of that. And, and what he's going to be saying is that Jesus says, God sent me to give the good news not to the intelligent people of the world, those who are all, know everything, but to infants. So there's quite a, quite a gap there. God says, I didn't come uh, to tell the intelligent what I need to tell them. I came for the infants. What does he mean and what is he saying? And that's what we have to uh, uh, flesh out this morning. So in chapter 11 of Matthew, uh, uh, we read in verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, now at what time? Well, he just got through uh, breaking down the sins of Capernaum and uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he said, though I did these wonderful works in those towns, they did not listen to me, nor did they believe me. And at that time, Jesus said, back to verse 25, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. He means the truth of the word of God and the truth of the gospel. You have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and I'm going to take that to mean of the world, and you have revealed them to infants. Verse 26, yes, Father, for this way, doing it that way, not the wise and the intelligent, but the infants, was well-pleasing in your sight. In other words, it is God's will and it is pleasing to God. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And then he adds this, which is uh, thrilling for us, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So if you want to know the Father, Jesus needs to reveal him to you, and then you will have that knowledge. Verse 28, Jesus puts out a plea, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, and I'm going to use the uh, New American Standard Bible from 2020. Uh, they translated this in a much better way because of the word. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Have you ever seen a, a draft animal that had the wrong collar on and rubbed them raw and rubbed the skin off? You realize that that would not be comfortable. God says uh, that the yoke that he has for us is comfortable. It is pleasant, another way to say that. And my burden is light. And that's especially something you want to listen to if you find that serving God is not comfortable and it's not light and it's been a burden to you. Uh, there's some issue going on there and that needs to be straightened out because that's not what Jesus said that it is. So let's take a closer look at what the Lord is uh, getting across to us this morning. So I want to take verses 25 and 26. They're a unit. And in that, we're going to learn uh, about what Jesus is saying. So to summarize it, if you're following along in your bulletin, uh, it's this way. God is to be praised, right, for revealing salvation to infants instead of to the wise and intelligent persons in the world. 
which God was pleased to do. Now, the first mistake we'd make is to think that there's no wiser, intelligent people that understand the truth of the gospel and have accepted it. That wouldn't be true. There's a lot of very wise and intelligent people that have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even after years and years of denying that there's even a God, uh, John Paul Sartre did uh, a change of, of uh, what he believed at near the end of his life, and he came to believe there is a God, there has to be in creation. Albert Camus did the same thing, and the people that used to follow their teachings were mad at them. How dare you do this near the end of your life, start talking about that there's a God, and others have done that. But the majority of people in the intelligentsia of the world have failed to understand uh, the gospel of Christ, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus had just recently finished, in our text, his rebuke of Chorazin and Bethsaida and of Capernaum, the cities that had failed miserably through the display of the great miracles that Jesus did to recognize that he was the Messiah. And Jesus' point is, what else do I need to do? How much do you need to see before you believe, I am who I said I am. I am uh, the creator of the world. I am the Messiah. I am God. And you need to believe in me. But they didn't. And the issue that this deals with is salvation and how one gets there, as well as where one ends up who doesn't make the right assessment of Jesus. See, everything depends on Jesus. If I don't make the right assessment of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to make it to eternity in heaven. If I make a wrong assessment of him and I don't believe who he is, I'm going to end up in another place the Bible calls Gehenna or hell. And then that's going to be thrown into the lake of fire in the end, end of the days on the earth. In verse 25a, then, Jesus stops to praise the Father of heaven and earth. I'm pretty sure he was disappointed about what happened in those three cities, as well as other cities, that he did all this work and nobody's listening, nobody's paying attention. It doesn't seem to move anybody that these miracles have uh, created uh, the truth of who Jesus is. So he says, at that time, he says, I praise you, Father. Okay, he just got through saying, uh, this, this is not the way it should have been with these cities, and what I did there should have proven it, but I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So now he's going to make a comment on the majority of people in that city. You have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent. And if you study the book of Proverbs, you find out God says there's all kinds of people that think they're wise and intelligent, but in terms of where God is at and who God is, they are not wise and they're not really intelligent. Jesus goes on to say, and you have revealed them to infants, to infants. What's he talking about? Well, uh, in the second part of verse 25, the answer, he, this, this answers the question of what happened in my ministry in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum? What happened? Why did they not repent? The truth had been hidden and concealed from them by God. And that's what Jesus is saying in that first verse. In fact, it's going to be uh, very clear that's what he's saying uh, when uh, not too many sermons from now we're going to be in Matthew 13 verses 14 and 15 where he tells us exactly theologically why they hear and they see but they cannot believe. They hear and they see but they cannot know. There's a blindness there with them. Hidden in the text that we're in this morning means to withdraw from sight. It means to conceal, and here it is to keep them from understanding the truth. What truth? The truth of who God is. And that seems strange to us. Why wouldn't God make it open to everybody, the intelligent and the infants? And what the text is telling us is that he's hidden it from these certain people. They, the people that are, are not getting it, are darkened in their hearts 
and they did not at all comprehend the light of the truth of God. So in the last part of verse 25, God concealed the truth from the wise and intelligent of the world and instead revealed his truth to infants. Apparently, the infants are those who are teachable. The wise are not teachable. So it was concealed from those who by worldly standards were intelligent and sagacious and those who were, or those who were able to understand with discernment. In other words, these are the people that know they're wise, know they're intelligent, but they just don't get it where Jesus is concerned. Now, there was no University of Capernaum, but it would be like this. We could say Jesus is talking about the professors of the University of Capernaum. Or you could take Cornell University in their law department where there's only one conservative out of 50 professors in law. And he's, he's shocked to death that he still has his job, but he, they've allowed him to stay. And he's taken all kinds of flack. Become the, he comes against CRT and BLM and all these other things and exposes the truth. And uh, he, he's working hard to do that. But other people think, you're nuts, you're crazy. Why don't you just be quiet and go along with the status quo? Those people in those towns and today is the same thing. People just don't get it. Today we have worldly wise people who don't get Jesus Christ either. Uh, in 1964, there was a German uh, a physicist who came up with what's called the theory of relativity. And it was a guy by the name, somebody by the name of Albert Einstein. And uh, that seemed to be the way the world was going in a godless direction. There's no creator in that. And then in 1964, they debunked it. And then NASA sent a satellite into space and measured the early Earth radiation and found out uh, he was wrong. And so uh, now we're taking one step closer. Maybe there has to be a God. Maybe there has to be something like that. And there are some wise people of the world, I mentioned too from, from our past, that have also decided I'm going to stand on the side of the stage where God is standing and not on the side of evolution. Instead of revealing it to the, the wise and the learned, God revealed the great mystery of salvation and who he is to infants of the world. Now, the word there is children. These are children. And he likens them to children. More specifically, this refers to those who, as of yet, have remained unspoiled by learning. I'm talking about secular and liberal learning. The world of academia is a vicious monster today. Academics or scholars fight for the recognition in their fields, and they want to be published. Uh, they have the idea in the, in the universities, it's publish or perish, and they have to come up with new ideas, cutting-edge ideas that haven't been thought of before, even though the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And they want to be recognized by their peers and lauded by them. They want the Nobel Prize in their area of their expertise. And the competition in the secular realm especially is relentless. Often their theories and postulates go to such a bizarre uh, extreme that no one can understand them, uh, including themselves sometimes, I think. Uh, being wise, they often become fools. These are people caught up in the importance of, of the human brain and self-aggrandizement. They seek the praise of men and they are, no, they are notoriously self-made. They give nothing to God. What's the problem? Well, part of the problem is what we learn in that 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 passage that I can quote often. It talks about how the gospel of Christ is being veiled to those who are perishing. And it says in verse 4, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, in this world, when we have the wives of the world, they don't even understand, nor will they accept, that we live in a fallen world. This world is not exactly the way Jesus wanted, to, wanted it to be when he created it. So you have not only a fallen world to look at, you also have fallen hearts of fallen people trying to look at a fallen world and come up with the idea of where in the world did the world come from. And there's all kinds of pitfalls in that and all kinds of things that can go wrong, and they have. There was a saying when I went to Dallas Seminary, my four-year stint there, and people would say to us as, as uh, non-doctoral students, don't go into the doctoral program. They said, get out while you, while you still believe the Bible. And that's because at the doctoral level, we've got to come up with new stuff. We've got to see things differently than anybody ever saw it before. We've got to publish that. Then we've got to debate it and then talk about how wise we are. And to use uh, the language of early uh, maps, I would say they want you not to go to the doctoral program because there be demons contending for recognition there who want the praise of men. Now, that's not true across the board, friends. There's lots of people in the doctoral programs who love Jesus and understand it and get it, but uh, there's a lot of this other stuff going on too. Dr. Norman Geisler, maybe you've heard of him, was famous for saying, uh, because he was very much opposed to evolutionary process, he was very much opposed uh, to uh, that entering into our school system, and we all know what happened there, we lost. But he said this, when the scientists are done and still asking questions. They get to the top of the mountain, meaning the mountain that they're trying to figure out, say evolution, uh, that they wish to tame. And there sits the theologians, <laughs> already seated in the chairs. They've already got this figured out. It wasn't evolution in the first place, and they don't like it. They don't like uh, the theologians knowing anything that would be seen to be intelligent or, or, or academic. Unless a person is liberal as a theologian, unless they are liberal, theologians are viewed in the world's intelligentsia circles the same as witch doctors and weak people who need a god for a crutch so they can live. And so we are weak and moronic and stupid because we believe the things of the Bible. And that's by the world's great intelligent people. In verse 26, then, Jesus says, Yes, Father, for in this way it was well-pleasing in your sight. So how God has done this, hiding it from the wise and giving it to the infants, Jesus said, you were pleased to do that. So there's something going on here, and uh, we can't change what Jesus said, but this is the way that it is. Jesus affirms this truth, saying that this is the way the Father was well-pleased to handle these people. Now, if you're an Israelite and you're listening to Jesus, you're going to be thinking about, now, who are some of the brightest people I know? Well, they're the religious leaders. Now, there was others around, you know, uh, in the ancient days that were also into science without God and things like that. Um, that's really not talked about much in Israel in Jesus' day. I'm sure they were there. But they're thinking about their religious leaders. They're thinking about their scribes. They're thinking about people that have memorized the Old Testament and can tell you where the middle letter is of any book and how many words it has in it. I mean, these people know uh, the word of God. They just don't know it. They don't know the God of the Bible. Jesus affirms this truth 
saying that this is the way the Father was pleased to do it. Was it not pride? Was it not intelligence and power that tripped Satan into believing he knew better than Yahweh, he knew better than God, and he wanted people to worship him instead of worship Yahweh? And then God uh, tripped him up and cast him out of his position in heaven. And today, people are still tripping over those same things, pride, intelligence, and power. God does not appreciate proud people who are too smart for him. And that's what the uh, academics do. They're proud people that are too smart for God. Anybody that believes in God is an idiot. Professing to be wise, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, professing to be wise, these people have become fools before God because they don't see God anywhere. They don't recognize his work. And again, it's not across the board, but it's a majority. In verse 27, he said, all things have been handed over to me. That's Jesus by my father. See, the father owned it all. He can give it to whoever he wants. And no one knows, no one has an intimate acquaintance with the son except the father, nor does anyone have an intimate acquaintance and knowledge of the father except the son and anyone to whom the Son wills. In other words, it's his desire, his will, to reveal it. So we learn in verse 27 this. Jesus has all authority from God and knows the Father and gives that knowledge to those to whom he desires to reveal it. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has desired to reveal it to you. And that's going to put you at odds with the world and the intelligentsia of the world. The first thing to notice is that Jesus has authority over all things that were handed to him by the Father, which is all things. And this is inclusive of the issue of salvation as well as every other issue that there is. No one has an intimate, pure, complete knowledge of Jesus except the Father. And no one has an intimate knowledge of the Father except for Jesus. And now watch this in the text. This is amazing, okay? This is absolutely amazing. We have to believe that the knowledge and wisdom of God is greater than the knowledge and the wisdom of this world, which is anti-God. And so this is what God is saying. Watch this. There are people, then, who have an intimate knowledge of the Father because Jesus shares that, the Bible says, with anyone he wills to share it with. And those are the infants. Those are the infants that he's been talking about. Spiritual healing is a matter of the authority of Christ through his death on the cross uh, yet to come in Jesus' day for those who were standing around him that day. He hadn't died on the cross yet, but for us he already has. To reveal means to make known, to transcend a secret, the revelation of which that can only come from God in the case of this, it is a mystery until Jesus reveals it. And then he says in verses 28 to 30, Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my yoke is comfortable. My burden is light. Who's he talking about? He's talking to these Jewish people that are under the religious leadership of the authorities of the day, and these are guys who took the 613 laws in the Old Testament Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they added thousands to that 
so that they said, look, in order not to break God's word, keep our rules and do our, our stuff we tell you to do uh, in punishment. You don't ever whip somebody 40 times. If you lose track and go 41, you're in sin. So we're going to cut that down and say, do it 39 times, for example. And they, they, they would change the word of God and what God meant, and they became legalistic by adding their rules to the word of God. Anytime you add rules to the word of God or take away, you're a legalist and you're causing burdens on people that they shouldn't have to bear, and you're causing them to uh, realize or think that God's yoke is very, very heavy, when in fact it is not. And so this is what he's talking about. If the weary will come to Jesus, in verses 28 to 30, who has the humble heart, they will find rest and help. Rest from who? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, that's who. I can't imagine what it was like living under all their rules. They were accusing Jesus of breaking the law constantly. Okay, we just saw your disciples walking through a wheat field, if it was wheat or barley, whatever, and they were, they were thrashing some grain on the Sabbath and eating it. They broke the law. You don't harvest on Sabbath. And Jesus said, <laughs> number one, is Sabbath for man or is man for the Sabbath? And number two, the Bible didn't say he couldn't do that. The Jewish rules said they couldn't do that. And then they're all upset. Hey, we notice your disciples are not washing their hands like the tradition says before they eat. And Jesus wants to know what tradition? Your tradition, not the tradition of Jesus Christ. And you're laying burdens on people. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second. How tough was it for the average Jew uh, to be what their religious leaders wanted them to be? Let's turn over to Matthew 23, where Jesus uh, tells us exactly what he thinks of the rulers of Israel. And I want to just read a couple of places in chapter 23, verse 4. And it says, of the religious leaders, they tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders. Okay, what's Jesus talking about back in Matthew 11? Well, he's talking about, I have, I have a load for you to carry that is light. I have a yoke for you that's comfortable. That's what he's talking about. Who has the opposite one? Who has the opposite one? Well, the religious leaders of his day, they tie heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move with so much as a finger that load. They're hypocrites. They're absolute hypocrites. Jesus, on the other hand, is truth and humility. Well, look down at verses 12 to 15. Here's what else they do. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, and you do not enter it yourselves, so we have the blind leading the blind, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. They're keeping people from the kingdom of God. All right, now verse 14 was not in the original Matthean text, but if you were to look up Mark 12, 40, and Luke 20, 47, you'd find out that that is in the text. So it's biblical. It's just somebody added it here in Matthew, but we'll read it. It's biblical. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. You steal, they steal their money. Uh, for a pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you have traveled around, uh, around on the sea and the land to make one proselyte, in other words, one convert to Judaism, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the sons of hell as you are. Ouch. Ouch. 
Yo, boy, wait till we get to this passage. Look at verse 24. You blind guides who strain at gnats and swallow at camels. The big stuff, you just let that go by. But the little stuff, boy, you make a big deal out of it. All of God's word needs to be taken care of, not just what you like and don't. And then the last one, verse 28. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is going to compare them in the next verse to a whitewashed tomb. The tomb is an ugly place of death and decay, but we just made it look good on the outside. And he says, the Pharisees, that's you. So Jesus is calling out to the people of his day and saying, look, I know what burden you're under. I know what heavy load you're carrying from your religious leaders. Come to me. I'm humble. I'm gentle. And I have an easy burden. I have a light burden. And I have a comfortable yoke. So in verse 28, what are these people weary about? And what is their heavy burden? It is the imposition of burdensome law that the leaders impose on them, not God, not God. We have to be so careful in religious circles that we don't make rules that go against the Bible or are more than what the Bible demands. And the Pharisees were uh, experts at that. Jesus mentioned the leader's hypocrisy in laying burdens on men, and they themselves are unwilling to carry them. Jesus wants to make their religion what it should be. And that is what God says. God reaching to man, not men reaching to God. That's not religion, although that's what's put off as religion even today. If they would come to Jesus and accept what he is offering, they will have rest. Rest is defined as a cessation from activity one is engaged in. It is rest from weariness of activity for the sake of relief. And the question is, Jesus, how do you plan on giving us rest? You're another religious person. Should we trust you? In verse 29, he says, take my, my yoke upon you. Not the one of the religious leaders, but my yoke. So first, we need to put off legalism and take on the yoke of Jesus Christ. So we acknowledge that Jesus has a yoke. You see that part? <laughs> there is a yoke. And we want to yoke ourselves to Christ. But it's different than the one the Pharisees and scribes are laying on the flock of God. It is true teaching about God and the path of God that he wants us to take. Again, unlike what the Pharisees have. Jesus, in verse 29b, unlike their teachers, is gentle and humble. You can just see the Pharisees walking around town. They got their big robes on, their hats on. They got their prayer tassels to show everybody just how religious they are and how, how sanctimonious they are. And they're, they're serving God and they know more than anybody else. And you go, Egh. that's not Jesus. Jesus didn't wear prayer tassels on his robe. He just prayed all the time. Jesus, unlike their teachers, is gentle and humble. Jesus is willing to get out there and do ministry with you. Jesus did not lay burdens on you or me that he doesn't intend to help you carry. Did you hear that? Jesus does not lay burdens on you for ministry that he doesn't intend to help you carry it. That's not the way it was the Pharisees. They laid out burdens and you're on your own. So my mind is drawn to Romans 8, 1 to 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set, oh, what's this? Set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death has set you free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ sets us free. 
It's not what the Pharisees were doing to their people. In verse 30, the reason to take his yoke upon your spiritual life and, and your physical life, I should say, is uh, comfortable. It is pleasant. And the burden will, will be carried with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it is, a, it is light. The Jewish religion was burdensome and demanded much from the believer. And I'm talking mostly about what the Jews did to their religion by making it more burdensome, by adding rules to it. The religious leaders also caught up in the works type of salvation they had as well. And it was too much to bear. Paul saw this. And uh, one more place I want to go in Acts chapter 15. Paul's going to be having a word about this. Acts chapter 15. And verse 10. Watch carefully. Now therefore... Why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples, those who are trying to make Christianity into Judaism and adding the laws of Judaism, why, do you, why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the necks of the disciples a yoke which neither your father, our fathers, nor we have been able to bear? He says, listen up. We have been saved through grace by faith in the Lord. We don't need this other stuff. So they were even doing it in Paul's day. They were adding rules and rule keeping to what comes by grace. They added the yoke of Torah plus their rules. The difference with Jesus is that he will yoke himself with us in our efforts to serve him, and we won't ever carry that burden without him in the spiritual life. If you're in a ministry and it's too much of a burden, uh, you wonder if you're really yoked to Jesus. I wonder if you're trying to do it on your own or I'm trying to do it on my own. It's not going to work. You're not going to make it. You're going to fall out of line. You've got to yoke yourself with Jesus. You think two yoke of oxen, you know, that, that, double, that double yoke, and they're on a double tree, and they're, they're pulling together. I want you to remember they're always, Jesus is pulling with you. I was running a team of Belgians once. Uh, we were uh, spreading manure on this one field with these old manure spreaders and these Belgians. And uh, I was getting a little irritated uh, with Mutt and Jeff that Mutt was not ever really trying to pull his load. And so I was after him all day long. Step up. Get going. You're trying to shirk your duties in this harness. And sometimes Jesus is wanting to go ahead and sometimes we're pulling back. We're to be yoked with him and work with him, and he will carry us, and he will help us, and he'll get us through. With Jesus' help, we will find rest for our souls, not constant agitation. I can rest in him because at the end of, of his life, Jesus paid it all. All my debt uh, that I owed has been paid to the Father, and now I'm just free to love him. I serve him because I love him, not because I have to, and that's the way you, you think as well, as it, as it is biblical. God has always promised rest to his true children. He promised it to Moses in Exodus uh, chapter 33 and verse 14. So this is nothing new when you follow God the right way, by his way. And uh, God said to Moses, and he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said, Well, if your presence is not going up with us, we're not moving. I'm not going if God's presence isn't with me. And that's our attitude as well. If God isn't going there, I'm not going. If God's going there, I'm going. 
and so it is. Uh, an early church father by the name of Clement of Rome said this, and this is written in, in old, old English. Let me just read it modernly. You see, dearly beloved, what is the pattern that has been given unto us? For if the Lord was thus lowly of mind, what should we do? Who through, who through him have been brought under the yoke of his grace? Teach what Jesus teaches. Do the ministries that Jesus gives you. Don't try to do it alone. He's there with you to help and pull you through. So Dr. Keener adds this. Jesus' yoke is not lighter because he demands less. There are demands in the yoke. But because he bears more of the load with us. And that's different than Matthew 23, 4 and the Pharisees. Kind of a strange little concept for us. He reiterates that when we get to chapter 13. The wisdom of men don't, this doesn't impress God. Men are living as fallen creatures, looking at a fallen world and trying to come up with the truth. They can't do it. It's not until you find Christ that you truly become wise. And that's why we have our high school kids studying the book of Proverbs. Because there's wisdom there for those who are, are, are not, uh, shall we say, skilled with life yet. If they'll just do it. And then we need to do it the rest of our lives. By way of some applications, what I think we should learn from this, number one is, when we present and demand legalistic faith, we burden people beyond the yoke of Jesus. You need to stop and ask yourself, do I have rules that Jesus doesn't have when it comes to spiritual things and religion? Then I shouldn't have those rules. Do I measure somebody's spirituality because they do things I want them to do, or is it because of what they're doing because Jesus said they're to do it? There's a big difference. Secondly, in our world, a majority of intellectuals pride themselves on being godless, on just being godless. Jesus came to reach those who were capable of childlike faith in him. That's it. I'm so glad he didn't make Christianity just for the intelligentsia of the world. Old Greg never would have made it. Thirdly, I'm sorry, fourthly, only through Jesus can you and I ever really know the Father and have a relationship with him? And in case you haven't figured that out, the whole goal of our life is to know Jesus and the Father and the Spirit of God and have a relationship with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you revealed the truth of the word of God, which is the ultimate truth, Under, just misunderstood and not understood by those who don't know you, even though they're some of the most intelligent people in the world. I want to thank you that even our children among us are capable of understanding the simple truth that Jesus loves them. And all they have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Make me your child. And they have become one who will have an intimate relationship with the Father. I just want to thank you that your gospel is for those of us who haven't been tainted to the point where we can't believe you 
because of what the world says. I pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.